Welcome to the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast, where we believe that healthy cash flow is critical for your IT business, automation is paramount, and building trust with your clients by looking professional will help grow your business. I'm your host, Ryan Goodman, and today we're going to break from our normal theme and talk with Rick Murphy from Cogent Growth Partners about his experience with mergers and acquisitions related to IT service providers and MSPs. So if you're going to go buy a company, what matters most to you is return on your cash. If I spend this money on this business, the most important thing you're concerned about is return on that cash. When am I going to break even on my investment? And there's a period of time that's reasonable, and there's a period of time both short and long that's unreasonable. Here's the podcast with Rick. Rick, thanks for thanks for being on the call. Thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate you spending the time with us. I know entrepreneurs and guys like you and me are busy, and I'll tell you what, I do appreciate you uh, spending the time with us here at Connect Booster today. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate being here. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. So let's get some of the basics out of the way. Um, tell us about your business and wh- really where people can find you guys, find more details about your company and services and, and possibly even engage you in a discussion. <laughs> Shameless self-promotion. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You bet. Um, so our website is uh, cogentmergers.com. We, we just actually relaunched the website just recently, so you can find lots of interesting information up there, uh, lots of different opportunities to contact somebody in the company uh, through the website, so I encourage you to go visit that. And uh, we're coming up on our ninth anniversary. We'll be nine years old in February. Awesome. And um, sometime before the end of this month, we will have closed deal 100. Dude, that's uh, a milestone. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a good one. Thank you. Very cool. And the site looks great, by the way. I was... Uh, I was playing around on it and poking around on it. You're doing some cool, cool innovations um, with uh, industry and channel partners that are relevant to everyone listening today as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. We want to make sure people can, you know, we can help uh, the community um, connect with each other and be connected to the community. And, you know, with our uh, being a buy side advisor in the space, Mm -hmm. uh, we also are looking for candidate companies and communicate with candidate companies. So the website now has a lot of, better information in it uh, relative to potential candidates and people who are curious about potentially maybe selling their company someday um, along with some of our products and services and our team and lots of testimonials from people who have worked with us before. So uh, it should be very helpful for anybody that's interested in learning a little, little bit more about us. No, that's great. And I'd recommend it. Go check the site out guys. Now to drive into a couple of questions, um, big broad one here. So how did you get involved in mergers and acquisitions and, and also, you know, what's your background in managed services? Cause you guys are focused on this space as well. Yeah. So we are exclusively focused on the IT services space. So all the transactions we've accomplished uh, to date have been IT services companies uh, buying and merging with other IT services companies mm-hmm. of pick the acronym of your choice, you know, MSSP, MSP, CSP and so on and so on. Now, of course, everything is a service and nothing is a service, (laughs) (laughs) IOT and and what have you. Um, So we, uh, everybody in the company comes from the um, IT services background, actually, except for myself, I actually come out of a technology background uh, in the internet space and long before that in the production space. So uh, we were using a technology as a network, gosh, in the 80s and the 90s, um, before the internet was the internet. 
um, and uh, you know, using technology to make television and motion pictures, uh, buying and selling a lot of companies back in the day. Yeah. Um, did a lot of that after the turn of the century, as it, it weird as that sounds to say out loud. Um, you know, doing a lot of that in um, in the 2000s, the early 2000s, in the um, streaming space. Okay. Um, so broadband streaming media, um, the you know the sort of the dawn of broadband streaming media. We were I was right in the middle of that uh, with a company I founded back in '99, uh, and uh, did acquisitions um, for those companies. Um, I really liked and understood. You know, so it was one of my skill sets is being able to um, um, can, you know work with business owners and 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 help realize the benefit of um, uh, teaming together and you know pulling. Um, the resources and realizing the growth, you know, opportunities around synergies and right. integration opportunities and so forth. And you know, that's not something that's exclusive certainly to the IT space, but, you know, applying that, you know, to the IT services space, I don't think it had been really done. There's certainly plenty of uh, brokers on the sell side out there. Right. Uh, you know, they're interested in lots of different spaces. And of course, um, uh, you know, interested in the IT services space. Uh, and there's certainly lots of companies out there that want to buy. So, uh, back about 11 years ago, decided um, to uh, actually go to work with what became our first client. Okay. I worked with him uh, here in Atlanta uh, exclusively for about a year, and we did two acquisitions in the space. Great. And as I was researching those acquisitions, discovered how interesting uh, the IT services market was and how fragmented it was. There's so many companies doing this, um, each doing it kind of their own way and also kind of doing it a common way. Mm-hmm. Um you know, which is tremendous opportunity for companies to build management teams and talent pools and vertical expertise and all those things that you do when you're looking to put two companies together. Sure, sure. No, that's great. Thanks for the info and, and interesting. And I think people are interested in learning about the, the birth as well as the background, what, what got you here today. All right, I'm going to shift gears a minute here on you. I'm going to play Go out ahead. a scenario. Let's Let's play out a scenario here together. So imagine I'm an MSP IT service provider, and I'm seriously planning to exit my business in the next five years. What are the top three things that I need to be focused on? What are those steps that I should be taking? First thing, and I can explain more about this, and certainly if you want to give us a call, I can explain it in graphic and gory detail. <laughs> right. But you want, to start running your, you want to start running your company right now like you're going to sell it tomorrow. Okay. Um, so you have a track record of running your company successfully um, when you are ready to sell. So it's run it like you're going to sell it today is sort of a theme. And that's the first thing I'd start doing. There's lots of things to do in that theme. First and foremost is um, um, accounting systems and how you do and book your sales and revenue and, and so forth. The getting good revenue recognition and good accounting practices mm-hmm. in place. Um, especially early on, you know, well before you're ready to sell, uh, allow you to be responsive to due diligence requests um, that would come from any potential suitor. Right. Um, just from a purely financial reporting perspective, that ties back into all your books and records, not just financial books and records, but also uh, customer agreements and vendor agreements. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I have contracts, but they physically have them, but they're not all signed and where you can find them. Sure. It's a good thing to have. Sure. <laughs> even, even some of the better run companies, you'd be surprised. And they're actually surprised when they discover it. You know, don't, they, don't uh, so 
right? Well, you know, you, you're running a PSA system, maybe ConnectWise or what have you. And, you know, different people do different things with PSAs, right. um, you know, in, in their own way. Um, is it integrated with your accounting systems? How does the paperwork function and flow through that? So a lot of times, you know, um, the agreement might, let's say, quote unquote, live in ConnectWise. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, in an task or pick whatever PSA, right. but you know, it's not really a signed contract that actually is on record. It's an SOW or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's not necessarily signed, sealed, and put away someplace. So again, a, a big part of actually selling your company is being able to demonstrate, you know, good business acumen, good business practices. So it's it, regardless of what you're doing now, Perhaps having somebody come in and take a look at that, uh, a third party to give you a health uh, checkup, if you will. Sure. Um, and it could be us or anybody um, that can sort of tell you what you look like now and what you might need to work on. That makes a lot of sense. So if someone, again, we're playing out the scenario, let's say this is me, mm-hmm. I should be engaging early and yeah. getting advice on what I yes. need to do to get to market. That makes sense. Yes, now that could be with a peer group. A lot sure. of people are members of various peer groups, and those are wonderful things to have. There's lots of different peer groups out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, people would know perhaps about HTG or Vistage Group. There's lots of interesting uh, peer groups, right. um, SLI, um, and so forth, service leadership. Um, you're looking at how a peer group might be able to help you self-analyze mm-hmm. um, is another good thing to do. Another way to do that, as having a third party look at you, um, uh, that's a little more intense, a little more um, uh, um, a consistent uh, reporting, you know, because they get together quarterly and so forth, um, as opposed to somebody might come in and take a one-month looky-loo right. by your company. Right. Um, so it's a little bit different commitment. Um, but, you know, again, so first thing uh, is start acting like run it like run it now like you're going to sell it now. Sure. And start doing that. And um, there's again a lot of pieces to make that happen. I mean, the other thing is um, make a profit. Yeah. Um, I hear a lot of companies that are investing for growth, quote unquote, right? And and there's two ways to look at that. Um, if you are really truly investing in growth, I would want to hear somebody tell me, well, I went out and made this sale, and I made this sale in order to fulfill that sale. I need to either hire or or purchase a tool mm-hmm. or purchase something to make that sale functional or maybe all of the above. So that's that's investing in your business. Whereas I, I'm going to go hire some salespeople or I'm going to go ahead and buy the tool. I'm going to go ahead and make this investment in maybe some data center infrastructure or something like that. That's actually spe- speculation. Sure. Right? You're speculating – and, and that's kind of the difference is really understanding the difference between investment and speculation in your business and being clear with yourself about that. And again, a third party can help you with that because if you're just spending money hoping the sales will come, uh, whether it's even just spending on sales activities even, that's actually speculating as opposed to investing in your business. So getting clear about actually investing in your business for growth and also being able to make money so that you can actually still make money while you're investing for growth. Cause a lot of companies that we run into, well, I'm in growth mode. Right. What does that, that mean? That means they're not yeah. making any money. <laughs> right. Well, that's what it really means is they're not making any money. They're, they're trying to tell me, well, we're not really making a lot of money right now because we're investing in growth. Well, okay. That sounds good. It's right? a cute way to package it up. 
it's a nice way to package it in your mind. Yeah. But what you should be able to do is, hey, look, I make a solid free cash flow number, which we can talk more about differences between EBITDA and free cash flow. But yeah. EBITDA, for those that are more familiar with that term, let's just call it making money to the bottom line, you know, net profit, net cash. Yeah. You know, your business should make net cash and still be able to invest in growth. You shouldn't do one or the other. It should right. be doing both all the time. Right. I like that approach. One of the things that, um, you know, in our pre-call that we had talked about was multiple, 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 multiple gets thrown out all the time. And, and oftentimes that's, that's a, that's a, that's a function of looking at a sale in the rear view mirror. It's easy to create a multiple based on what's happened in the past. And I, I, I'd love to have you talk to our listeners about what multiple means to you and, and the way that you guys look at businesses on the both buy and sell side as a, as a value play versus just a flat out multiple based on revenue. Um, so, you know, every first call I have with anybody, just all lots of conversation, people focus on, Hey, where are the multiples at? You right. know, Rick, what do you think about the market? What's the multiple? You know, if I told you I was making this much money, you know, what kind of multiple could I expect for my business? And it's a tremendously loaded question. Mm -hmm. And it's based on all kinds of stuff that's such a moving target um, that I try my best to not answer the question directly, not to be evasive, but to really explain you know, what, what a buyer is looking for from a buyer's perspective. Put yourself in a buyer's shoes. I often tell even candidate companies, actually almost always tell even a candidate company, is think like a buyer, right? right. So if you're going to go buy a company – what matters most to you is return on your cash. Right. If I spend this money on this business, forgetting structure for a minute in terms of how I pay for the business, but even if you write a check for the business day one, you own the business the next day, the most important thing you're concerned about is return on that cash. When am I going to break even on my investment? Right. And there's a period of time that's reasonable, um, and there's a period of time, both short and long, that's unreasonable. It would be unreasonable for anybody. I don't know if you would, but if I said, hey, give me a million dollars, and 10 years from now, you'll have broken even on your million dollars and you make your first dollar of profit, you know, is that something you would do over, let's say, hey, give me a million dollars, and in three years, you're going to break even and you're going to start seeing profit? Which one of those is better for the buyer? Well, I can, can I can make, tell you. Right? What would you do? <laughs> right. I, I want to turn faster, man. <laughs> yeah. Would you wait would you wait ten years to, to get your money back? No, because there's lots of places to do that, right? That's right. So so you hear a lot of people talking about ten times multiples and nine times multiples and five times multiples. So let's just go to ten times multiple. What you're really saying is that based on your opinion of what a ten times multiple is but those people are prepared to wait 10 years to get their money back, and it's just not true. Right. What is true, right? It's just not true. What is true is they saw something in your business. If you, in fact, got 10 times multiple for your business or somebody offers you 10 times multiple on your trailing uh, free cash flow, let's mm -hmm. just go there for a second, sure. not forward, trailing, sure. because that's something we know about, right? right? We know what happened in the past. So if you said, okay, I got 10 times my trailing free cash flow for my business. I just did the deal yesterday, and they gave me a check. There's something that you did wonderfully but that, or that you don't know about that they're going to do with your business to make sure that they can get paid back in a shorter time frame. 
So they're either going to be cutting heads, they're going to be consolidating facilities. Right. Um, there's so, somebody believes in an interesting hockey stick sales ramp, maybe. Maybe it's believable, maybe it's not. Could be constructed out of unobtainium, perhaps. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> so, so for some reason, though, that business saw enough in that business, whether it's true or not, to make them write that check for that 10 times multiple. Because there's no way they're going to wait 10 years for their their money back. Yeah. Most buyers, again, if you're a buyer, you're working on trying to get a recoupment somewhere between 48 and 60 months. Sure. It might go a little longer than that. Um, and if you do any shorter than that, uh, you're looking for bargains. Sure. And bargains might be out there. There's fixer-uppers out there and things like that that you know aren't worth as much money um, as a more – refined business that's got a track record of making good free cash flow returns. Right. Um, and it really comes down to, you know, multiple is this jargon that's been invented years ago. I didn't invent it. Um, that, you know, for people to talk with each other in shorthand to sort of have a thumbnail discussion about generalities, but that has somehow morphed into this, this um, sacrosanct, you know, right. um, um, list of, you know, uh, of what is actually true based on like an index. And there's no such thing. There's no multiple index. Right. Um, right. So that's one way to look at that. So, you know, the truth is from our buyer's experience, we've represented lots and lots of clients over the years and we still represent a lot of them today. Private equity investors, professional investors, large corporations, small ones, really small ones. Um, Everybody pretty much thinks the same way, you know, and it's, it, and by the way, it's not invented just because of the IT space. It's a universal truth, you know, throughout the world and anybody that's ever bought and sold just about anything that's trying to create value is you got to break even, you know, three to six years. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I... just, you, you, you know, right. You're just not going to invest your money anywhere else. Why would you do it? Otherwise it's stupid. And I think the point is really concise in the fact that, you know, guys, it's not about a multiple based on, you know, where you're sitting today and, and taking a look at your overall revenue. It is, there is a whole value proposition oh, yeah, that let's is talk baked about that. in to yeah. making so, this happen. So the amount of, yeah, so the amount of money that your company makes is one thing. And by the way, that's called free cash flow. That is a gap term. Mm-hmm. Free cash flow. Free cash flow is a known, generally accepted accounting principle. Gap, according to Gap. When you hear according to Gap, right? right, right. Um, EBITDA, unbeknownst to many people, is not a Gap principle. And those of you that are CPAs in the audience, you know you're going to stand up going, "Yay!" Just uh, dropped a truth bomb. me on the back. <laughs> you just dropped a truth, a truth bomb. bomb. <laughs> right? And you can look it up. You can look it up. Um, EBITDA is not Gap. It's a made-up, um, again, jargon. It's actually jargon that was made up eons ago um, to sort of communicate a proxy for free cash flow, especially in the absence of debt and anything on the balance sheet that might be a cash flow-related item. Sure. Because many business owners don't run their business on a cash flow sheet, which is the other second thing you should start doing, by the way, okay. when you want to run a good company. You should be using a cash flow sheet, not your P&L. Paying attention to your balance sheet's a good idea too, and you know, paying attention to your P&L is important. Right. But it's cash flow. 
and creating free cash flow is is where is the thing you can multiply. Sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, but right. So you've got something. You know, I mean, a multiple on a company that doesn't make any money is still none. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I still. But your. But but your company's still valuable, right? Right. So. So that's another example of how multiple EBITDA just doesn't work. Right, right, There's right. still value in that company, right? right? And how you unlock that uh, that value is what we like to call opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple of things that we you know, you'll see on our website. We talk about the opportunity delta, okay. and we talk about a theory of opportunity first and money last when you're trying to do a deal. Because you know when you're looking at doing a transaction, why should I do this? Should be the first question you talk about. Right. Why? Why do we want to do this? What makes our two businesses better together? Why should we work together? And most people start with the money. Well, I, you know, my business is this big. And I, wanna, uh, I have an EBITDA of this. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. No, and I want to. I want to. I want to double in the next year. Well, w- what does that mean? You know, double in exactly. what? Exactly. Double in cash flow. Double, double in what? staff. Double in cost. Like, what do you want to double? Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, exactly. So, you know, a lot of people are focused on employees. They're focused on top line. Here at Cogent, we call that top line disease <laughs> um, because you're infected, usually with a staff infection, <laughs> where you've got a, a lot of staff and you're busy worried about your top line right. when you should be worried about your bottom line and how much profit you're making. And paying attention to your cash flow on a daily basis right. so that you're making money so you can wisely actually invest instead of speculate or speculate if you wish to. And hopefully that will pan out as you run your business and grow your business, right? Um, and again, the peer groups are really good at helping people do that. Uh, we can certainly help people do that too it's in, in a different way. We're not a peer group. We don't run peer groups. Right. But – and we highly recommend the peer groups, by the way. Um so, you know, Mr. Dipple and the rest of the, the other peer groups, so they do a great job. Um, but, you know, when it comes to understanding the value of your company, um, you can't just multiply, you know, put a factor against revenue, for example. Um, you know, a really good way to think about that. It's along the line of what we're just talking about here, right? You've got a million-dollar free cash flow company. Let's call it a million-dollar EBITDA company because they have no debt. Sure. Um, and you got, they do 60% gross margin on their sales, Mm -hmm. uh, which, and let's say all things are even, uh, in terms of costs. And you've got another million dollar company that is doing 30% gross margin right? with all our SG&A being equal, right? Which one's more valuable? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, so, right. So the one that's making more money, gross margin is more valuable than the one that's not. So if you just said, hey, a million dollars, and let's say it's all MRR, right? Let's say every nickel of their revenue was MRR. You can't give them the same multiple. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The multiple is a function of what they sold for, not what's going into the value proposition of the buy. Right, so you can't can't assume that this MRR, because it's MRR, has some sort of a factor value. Uh, It's how much money does it create? Right. And are you doing it wisely? Um, so, I mean, that's just one instance, you know. So uh, an important item in terms of running your business is if you're making money, uh, you're making money so you don't have to sell your business. You're doing well. 
uh, and you and your partners, your business partners and your staff, you're doing well as a company um, means that you can be um, very thoughtful when it comes time to sell the business. Right. Uh, you're, you're not under the gun. Uh, there's no urgency um, to sell means you can be a more discerning seller when it comes time to do that. Right. No, that and you put some money in the pocket too. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Hey guys, Ryan Goodman here, president at Connect Booster and your host for this fine podcast. We want to take a quick break from our episode and thank you for listening. We wouldn't do this if it weren't for you, so thank you for sticking with us on this adventure. We also want to thank Rick for joining us on today's episode. You can find more about Rick and Cogent at CogentGrowthPartners.com. Rick has given us a lot of great information about mergers and acquisitions that you can't get anywhere else, and there's a lot more coming after this break. If you want to learn more about Cogent and their services, give them a call, send an email, heck, throw a carrier pigeon if you have to. They want to help you out. Before we get back to the episode, we want to let you know all the ways you can find us online, starting with connectbooster.com slash podcast. That's where all our new episodes go up first. So if you want to listen right away, connectbooster.com slash podcast is where to find them. All of our episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google as well. So find us on your favorite podcast platform, and they'll let you know when episodes are ready to listen to. Lastly, if you want to connect with us or be a guest on the podcast, email us at podcast at connectbooster.com or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter and we'll point you in the right direction. Thanks again for listening to the Confessions of an IT Business Owner. We'll get back to the podcast and talk to you soon. This is good stuff. I have skipped around my little script, but this is flowing really good. So this is, it's, it's real. I mean, this is the stuff that. You know, we're in the trenches every day, this partner. This is real. <laughs> I mean, this isn't like a, oh, I read some report on whatever blog yeah. and I'm going to ramp up in 2019 to, you know, add 30%, well, 30% of what? What does that mean? Did you just add 30% more revenue and you lost money and you're profitable in mm -hmm. 2018? What, like, I mean, these are the things that people are surprised by. <laughs> when, when it comes well, they are. Them, I mean, and they're not giving themselves enough time to figure, figure it out, right? I mean, it's, it's, mm -hmm. you gotta be, you gotta be thinking about this now. And, you know, the, the means to an end. I mean, everybody's going to exit their business one day, right? I mean, mm -hmm. whether whether they die or or right. want to exit or or they lose their business. I mean, there's not all these scenarios are pretty. So we all want to have shows up. There's there's things that happen. Um, you know, people get sick. Um, people get pissed off with each other. Right. Um, um, people get divorced um, and all of the above, I suppose. And also. Um, um, you, know, you get bored. Uh, I'm done. I've been right. doing this for 25 years and, or, you know, Hey, I'm 55 years old. Well, you know, or I'm 60 years old. Or I'm 65 years old. And, you know, what's going to happen next. And, um, you know, a lot of business owners have, um, an overinflated sense of what their company's worth because the interweb mm -hmm. says so. Right. And, 
you know, the old adage, again, I didn't invent this, and it's a hackneyed phrase, and I'm trying not to use it too often, but, you know, the idea that your business is worth what somebody will pay for it, you know, is the truth. That's, it's a universal truth. Finding the right company to, to be a suitor uh, is an effort. That's one of the things we specialize in, obviously, is trying to put suitors with, with candidates and help them all understand, you know, why they should do it. And assuming that all works out properly, we can usually get the money right as long as people can be reasonable on both sides, which is my personal favorite word, reasonable. Right. Uh, it's when people are unreasonable on one side or the other, but things don't happen. And unreasonable is, oh my God, I want, you know, 20 times my forward revenue for my company right. is unreasonable. Right. And hey, I want to buy this company and get my payback in two years is unreasonable. Right. Um, sure. Yeah. So, you know, we try to hit it on the screws, as they say in golf. We used to say in golf anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no screws anymore, right? Um, so, but we, you know, we try to we try to balance um, both sides to be reasonable. We try to act as intermediaries as much as possible. It's really what we do for a living, um, and helping our buyers understand where the value is, and paying a reasonable price for the business to get it done, mm -hmm. um, so that they they can benefit from the opportunity. And oftentimes the, the selling company is actually you know, participating and still going to be part of the company right. with you know, a new role in the company. And there's the third thing. If you want to bring the third thing around is are you em make yourself employable or make yourself um, um, uh, replaceable? Sure. Right? Because in your own business, if you're irreplaceable, well, I don't, I, how do I buy it? You have to come along right. and then it's tied to you, you, you might – Right. And you might not be employable. Right. I will admit I am not employable. <laughs> I, I, I like having my own business. I do. Uh, many entrepreneurs like having their own business. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things when we look at businesses, one of the biggest issues we have, it's almost a universal issue, uh, especially if the business owner is you know, not ready to retire tomorrow, which is often, most often the truth, actually, sure. um, is golly gee whiz, I got to come to work for you tomorrow. Hmm, I haven't done that in 25 years. You know, I haven't had a resume and I can't even think of how many years I haven't had a resume um, personally. How and many so they haven't you? either. Yeah. No, do you have a resume? I'm, like, I don't I'm, know. I'm just thinking about that. I'm like, if it's you or me sitting down self-evaluating or if it's anyone, you know, listening to yeah. me, how many of us would be our own worst nightmare? <laughs> of course. Right. Right. So and then and perhaps some of the business partners are probably the same way, mm -hmm. uh, and then they all have roles and responsibilities in their company that they do well at, um, and or think they do well at. That's sometimes the truth too. And um, how does that fit in with the suitors' company and vice versa? Do the corporate cultures fit together? You know, do the job roles and just roles and responsibilities fit together? Um, do you sell the same way or do you augment or help each other sell a better way, which is, right. can work too. Right. You know, our logo, for those that have seen our logo, or if you put our logo up, means one plus one equals four. Love it's that. semaphore. Right? And the idea there is if you do a transaction and you've got the color code you know, is, the, is the copper core company with a green go deal mm -hmm. equals a pot of gold. That's awesome. Um, if you stare at the logo long enough. And so the, 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 the method there, though, is, you know, you want the why should add up to a whole bunch more than just the sum of the parts, right? Um, and 
and it can be and, and doing a, a good integration, a good consolidation, assimilation. There's lots of different words you can use mm-hmm. in terms of putting these companies together. And it takes a little time, a little bit of effort, and you want to learn how to be good at it. And so that's one of the things we've got with our buyers is you know, our clients is make sure they can be good suitors and good buyers, and they're going to be successful at it, and they can do it time and again. So most of our clients are repeat buyers, serial buyers, okay. or we turn them into one. We, yeah. we help them become one. Right. Um, um, and selfish and altruistic at the same time, and they right. all know I that. Mean, yeah, it serves everyone's interest in that case, right? It does. It does. And then you know what happens is you've got the ability then to, you know, when you think about that, is again running it like you're going to sell, running think like a buyer. You know, all of those things should be in your head as you're thinking about moving forward, someday selling. You know, I'm going to sell someday. You never know when somebody's going to call like us and say, hey, right. we've got a suitor that would like to buy your company tomorrow right, uh, or soon. Right. Um, and you're like, well, geez, I'm not ready. Uh, we hear that a lot, actually. Right. You know, we hear all kinds of stuff. But coming back to the employment thing, part of the I'm not ready is, well, geez, I'm going to need a job after this. Or, you know, I'm, what am I going to do? We had a transaction recently where I'm pretty sure the wife looked the husband right in the eye and said, look, buddy you're not employable you're not. you can't do this and you're not staying <laughs> home a lot. <laughs> and you're not staying home that's right and you can't just go play golf every day right so you know just looking yourself in the mirror and saying okay you know i, I want to sell so can, what am i going to do when i sell what's my what's what else am i going to do after i sell you need to think about that right and and don't think you're going to go play golf every day because that's not true what you are going to do most likely is wait out your you're going to wait out your non-compete and you're going to go do it again. That's usually what happens, by the way. Right. Entrepreneurs um, are looking for purpose no matter what. It's it's hard yeah, to turn that off. In, in yeah, like you're going to do something. You're going to do something. Or you might find out that joining the company is a good thing. Uh, a lot Again, a lot of times the business owners are terrified, you know, I'm going to have to punch a clock. You know, I can, I can, um, I can take my kid to the to the doctors today if I need to, and I don't have to ask anybody. Well, again, senior executive level management, when a company's just purchased, usually isn't going to try to turn the ex owner into some sort of, um, uh, you know, a salary man type, yeah. you know, punch the clock kind of person. Um, again, you're on your own recognizance, and yeah, you, you might actually have even more responsibility than when you sold. Um, cause, or, or maybe less, which can be a lot of fun for people, which is another reason people actually do like to sometimes join another team is they could do a little less than I used to. Sure. Um, but you know, being able to know what you're going to do next, being able to think about that, you know, can I be employed by another company? How would that work? Because those are the things that are going to come up, uh, in the romance stage, mm-hmm. uh, which we like, we liken it to a dating process. Um, as opposed to a property purchasing process. Sure. Um, it's not a war. It's not supposed to be a war. So during the dating process, hey, what am I going to do every day for you guys? You know, right. and is that fit? Why? Why are we doing this? Right? It comes always comes back to why. That's a big part of that. One. You know, a lot of this talk, you know, about, um, you know, the principal owner, the person who's selling, rolling up into the new entity, actually really leads me to another. Um, question that I think a lot of us are going to be interested in, in hearing your take on employees, employees inside of the business and, and you as an owner preparing to sell. I think, you know, we kick this off as, as you advising me, if I'm going to sell my MSP in five years, you know, what are the things I need to do? What, from an employee standpoint, you know, the team that I've built, when do I involve my staff in this process? 
do I involve key players? Do I talk about this broadly? Is there a specific time? Like, like how do I deal with my team inside of this process? That's a super good question. And there's a lot of different answers to that. Okay. Um, and again, I try to to be the, the truth teller here. So the, with the, with, so in terms of running your business again, so that you can sell it when it comes time to sell it, whether it's now or later, you start doing it now. It's having good employment agreements in place, good non-compete, non-solicit agreements in place. It's really not about non-compete, really. We're, we're just making sure that you're not going to – that you're not – it's really a non-solicit agreement with a tiny bit of non-compete in it. Uh, that's what we believe in anyway. Um, you should be able to go work wherever you want to go work. Again, but having an employee under proper paperwork – um, right. A spirit employee with good job description, where you have a really good idea what that employee does every day, sure. um, whether they do a lot of different things or just a few things, making sure that's well documented so that you're doing your regular employee reviews, uh, salary reviews, you've got that all documented. So that there's a history of that employee that you can tell to somebody else later on. So you can walk through all of your employees and sit down with somebody tomorrow again um, and say, hey, Bob does this. He does this real well. Here's the pros and cons with Bob. Here's what we have him doing now. We like Bob a lot, and we think he's a real keeper. And here's how his role would fit with you. So you can actually then use that information to discuss why we're doing this and how he fits right. into the new the, the new the new zeitgeist. Um, and then part of that, in terms of esprit de corps, um, you'll have an idea of where you are with employees, and you can communicate that information to a potential buyer. Right. Typically, to come back to other part of your question. Typically, only the top key people of any potential seller should actually know that you're actually trying to sell. Okay. Uh, the main reason being is that it's impossible to share with everybody on the team the who the suitor is and why this is a good idea because you haven't fully developed the idea yet. Sure. Right? It's not a fully baked idea. I'm not completely sure I'm ready to sell yet until potentially on the other side of a letter of intent right. or an indication of interest. Uh, and then it's not a slam dunk that you're actually going to get the deal done, although sure. we get we have a high batting average post LOI uh, in terms of cogent and our ability to get deals done. Right. But it's not fait complete. So until the deal's closed, um, nothing has happened. And if you spin up all the employees or a big junk chunk of the employees, they're just going to worry. Uh, they're not going to be able to result. Yeah. They're not going to be able to understand uh, why. Right. And you're not going to have time, mo- mostly because you're not going to have time to explain it to them. And they won't have met the new guys. Right. Um, and so you've got to trust that you're, you have a good relationship with your employees where they trust you um, and that you're doing the right thing on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, we focus tremendously. That's a big, huge part of getting a deal done is making sure all the employees are going to make the trip and be happy right. and well-fed and properly insured, with no gaps in their benefits, right. and so forth and so on. Right. Uh, what you see on TV and all the movies you see, while that is done on some level and really big corporate deals, on deals like this, that's not, what, that's not the drill. Right. Um, I couldn't possibly service all of the new customers we're buying with our existing team, it's not possible. Right. Is, is the norm. Right. That's the norm, right? And again, explaining that to a staff early on, they're not gonna. They're, they're just. They're gonna put their resume out. Is what they're gonna do. Right. And you're, they're gonna be worried. You you have unintended consequences by trying to exactly. foster that that 
That's that's right. Yeah, no, that, that, um, that makes if sense. But but if if in fact you have fostered a wonderful relationship with your employees, and they know you're going to look out for them, uh, and you know that about yourself as an as an owner, mm-hmm. um, we are going to do our best to make sure that everybody's got home. Um, that this is a, uh, that's the merger part, right? It's the, it's the merging of the teams, right? It's the merging of the customer base. It's the merging of the systems. Um, all of those things are the merger part. Sure. Uh, so the acquisition part is really around the money and who's buying who the merger part is how you do it after that. And, uh, so everybody that we work with, um, most people I know that do this for a living, um, they care deeply about uh, making sure that that works properly. And certainly the business owners do. Yeah. And that's one of the very first things that the business owners are talking about. So for those of you that are employees that aren't business owners listening to us, you shouldn't sweat uh, a, a deal. Uh, if you're good at what you do and you like what you're doing, uh, you're going to have a home with a new company. You know, I think that that's, that's really valuable. And I think that's some really good inside baseball for, you know, those listening that, that aren't you know, principal owners is this isn't something necessarily that you, you should fear. And, and coming from you, Rick, and then being involved in a lot of deals in this space, you're seeing those principals, their, 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 their employees are a primary factor, making sure that everything is good there as they're looking to do a deal, which is not good for, for again, the the staff. Good, Good employee, good employees are hard to find, right? Um, they're employed. Right. So one right. of the best ways to grow a company, by the way, is to buy another company that has a bunch of good employees. That's that's how it really works. That's, that's great. the truth. That's great. Love that. <laughs> so I'm gonna change it up on you again here a little bit. Um, what is your get my bat what, out? <laughs> yeah. Get your, you ready for this? I can show it to you. I got, a, I got a bat right here. <laughs> I'm holding my bat as we speak. Well, I really like you. I hope I don't get. I don't know if that gets the wrong end of that one. <laughs> I don't owe you money, do I? (laughs) Not to the best of my knowledge. Okay, good. We're clear. We're clear, my man. (laughs) Um, What what is your opinion on the current buying and selling market? Just in general, just broad, 100,000 foot view. So the current selling market is pretty white hot. There are way more buyers than there are sellers, which is what you know buying you know what a market is all about. They has caused a lot of interesting things to happen in the market. So one of the symptoms of a white hot market is a lot of what's called retrading, okay. um, especially on auctioned deals where there's brokers involved. Uh, we're not a broker; we don't do any sell side work, right? Uh, so we don't do we don't run auctions. Um, we don't do that kind of work. Um, there's plenty of brokers out there that do that, and, and some do it really well. But regardless of how well they do it, uh, when you're running an auction process, you know, you're trying to gin up interest in buyers. And those buyers, um, now there's kind of a practice, well, a common practice, not everybody does it, of, um, hey, this is the information you gave me. Um, thanks for the SIM. Uh, a confidential information memorandum is what a SIM is. It's uh, brokers build SIMs on their companies. So they can put that material out to potential buyers. Sure. Buyers look at teasers. Buyers look at these sims, and often they're asked to put forward an indication of interest, so they can whittle down the interested parties. Hmm. And obviously, in the indication of interest, what they're looking for is, you know, who's paying the most money with the best structure. Right. Um, and 
um, because all I've seen is this material you've given me. I haven't been able to do any other due diligence. Um, that's universal of any buyer that would be looking at that stuff. Um, some buyers will just go ahead and say, yep, I'll pay you whatever you want here. Boom. Um, so that they can do what's called a lockup, which is in any IOI or LOI. So you're just dancing with me. Um, and then they finally get a look, a chance to look at the um, actual due diligence behind the uh, information memorandum, you know, the teasers. Mm -hmm. And it may or may not tell the same story as the teaser does or right. the information memorandum right. does. And it often doesn't because uh, sometimes that material is um, polished. <laughs> right. Right. And so then, you know, I'm uh, so there's kind of a game that's being played now where, you know, and especially in auctioned deals. And sometimes when, you know, a, a seller is kind of auctioning themselves, they're not really running a, a process as what's, what's called running a process with a broker. Uh, but they might be doing a little bit of on, on their own and talking to different buyers, to, you know, on their own. Right. Uh, one of them could be talking to us, for, you know, for example, right. um, while they're talking to right. other people, uh, which is fine. You can date other people while you're dating us. But you know, at some point you want to know they're serious, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you want to know you're going to take me seriously is really that letter of intent. And in the retraining game, um, you know, we, we, we get you to sign and, and lock up on an on a information, you know, a indication of interest or a letter of intent. Uh, and then we, once we dig in, you know, sometimes the numbers aren't exactly as they were advertised. And then I'm going to have to change the price. Right. I'm going to have to change the structure. Right. And it's not going to be the same as what we originally promised you. Right. And then, and then sometimes those deals get done after a lot of hard fought negotiation. Uh, it's the only time I kind of use the word fight in a sentence with regard to M&A. Right. And, and then there's, you know, this sort of war that happens. Um, and then sometimes there's attrition in that war and, and, and sometimes those deals get done. Um, so that's sort of a symptom of the white hot market. Um, the other symptom is, you know, my company's worth you know, too much. I, I, you know, I'm a potential seller and I'm convinced that my company's worth, you know, way more than it's actually worth based on the reality Right. of what numbers say and what the actual opportunity is. Right. And we're going to try to find every square inch of opportunity and try to make a transaction happen um, if we can. But, you know, again, there's reasonableness and reality right. to our words right. that are super important. And um, you've got to be reasonable and you've got to be realists on you know, what can we really do here. Mm -hmm. So when, when in, in the white hot market, what a potential seller often does, they're like, well, I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. So I'm just going to wait and I'm going to keep earning money, keep growing my company. And then someone will come and buy me later. And while that may happen, and it's certainly possible that could, that could work for you. Who's to say it's going to always be a white hot market. And there's a lot of noise now, right now in the financial markets going right. back and forth and up and down, you know, our political climate here in the United States is a little wacky. Right. I'm not going to be political, but it's just all over the place. Right. And uh, polarized might be a really good word. That is a good word. And and you know you look at the bond markets right now. There's a, there's a chance of maybe an inversion happening. And you know while while every recession, you know every inversion doesn't portend a a recession. Mm -hmm. It is a fact, by the way, so the facts that I've read um, on the interweb and otherwise um, that every recession fact been uh, preceded by an inversion at some point. So I thought that's an interesting factoid. Yeah. Um, so you never know, you know, how, where the world is going to be from day to day. And when you have an opportunity in front of you, you need to seriously consider uh, whether it's a great time to put some money in your pocket or not. Right. And is it a worthwhile deal? And 
You need to be rational is another great word, another great R word. Um, and so that you can decide, you know, what is reasonable and not reasonable as you look at a potential opportunity. You really queued up kind of a, a, something, you know, that I had written down here that I was curious about, but I think you actually explained it well, where, you know, the question was, what changes do you expect in the MSP market over the next two to five years? And I think what you've clearly stated is one thing we can guarantee on is things just don't always stay the same. So at some point it will change and get your house in order now, uh, because mm-hmm. the best practices that you've talked about are not just best practices for selling. They are best practices to operate your MSP, right? <laughs> you and, know, they're, they're, right, they're just best practices, right? Make money, and, make money and put money in your pocket. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have some money. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with running a for-profit business. There's some businesses we look at and you would swear they're philanthropies. Right. You know, it's like they're running a for-profit business as a philanthropy and that's not really a great idea. Nice. You're employing a lot of people and you're generating a bunch of revenue and you're making a bunch of other people a lot of money. But unless you're, as the owners, able to pay yourselves well too, right. uh, why the heck are you doing that? Right. Uh, just, you know, so for what it's worth. I think it's a good gut check. It's a good gut check. It is. So, you know, sanity sanity around being able to to realistically, you know, take an introspective look at your own business uh, we do have a product for that. If somebody wants to go on our website, you look for our market value analysis project Great. product um, for some shameless self-promotion there. Hey, no. um, <laughs> that's great. Hey, no, it's valuable though. I mean, this is valuable. Well, so, I mean, that's what we're talking yeah, so, about. This is valuable. So the, the market value analysis is a way to see what you look like in the eyes of a buyer, a generic buyer. Um, what does your company look like to them? Mm-hmm. And then using mm-hmm. that as a template forward, understand you know the reality of where the market is right now and your business right now and you pull out of that a lot of different things you can learn about your own business what you could do differently better or or, or stop doing mm-hmm. um right and or hey we're doing it great we just need to do more of it there's lots of different ways that can go and so, you know it's an inexpensive product we've developed um around our transaction analysis modeling that we do for our clients um it's basically the same product and you know it allows uh, uh somebody who's just like, where am i right now where am i going to be um, so it's something we can do. You can find it on our website and, and link in with us. But whether you did it with us or not, being able to have your CPA mm-hmm. look at stuff is an interesting thing to do. Right. But they don't really know the buyer market. Right. Um, yeah. And something else I want to touch on, because when it comes down to financials, I just want to go backwards. So the way you do your books and records on a financial books and records, right? And the way you do cost allocation against your revenue is really important. And everybody does it a little bit different way. So just the CPA took me on that tangent because we talk about working with a CPA and a public accountant, you know, uh, their accounting practices are accounting practices. Good to have good revenue recognition, good accounting practices, but putting your chart of accounts right so that your cost of goods sold and the way you treat labor as cost of goods sold or not okay. is different with almost everybody, right? Everybody does it a little bit differently. And again, if you're part of a peer group, likelihood is you're going to do it better. Mm-hmm. I think the peer groups teach uh, really good uh, cost recognition. But if you're not part of a peer group, um, you need to figure out how to work with your accounting company to make sure, or just internally with your own uh, accountancy people that work for you directly, 
to properly allocate um, co labor costs against revenue so that it shows up as a cog or a portion of it shows up as a cost of goods sold and it's not just all um, salary. Sure. And any good buyer is going to want to line that up. So if you start doing that now uh, as a potential seller someday, uh, you're going to have good you're history practices yeah. uh, behind you, and it's going to it's going to help you later on. No, that makes a lot of sense. Rick, this was awesome. This is really good. There's there. I I, 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 I think could go on, I could go on for hours. I know, and 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 I and I think that that is the thing. Like I I love it, and I have personally just enjoyed it because it was excellent knowledge for me, and and I do. I just appreciate you spending the time and, and, you know, sending out all this value um, to the community. And what, I guess what this sums it up to is what, what key message would you like to drive home with those that are going to listen to this podcast here? Be represented, whether it's with us or somebody else. Right. Um, when you're looking to do something and, and get a third party um, as soon as you can, uh, not really just from how do you sell stuff and how do you productize and all the other things. There's lots of different value, different kinds of advisors can bring you. Um, but just somebody to give you a um, sort of a measuring stick that you can, that you can use now to figure out where you want to be later. Um, you you just can't do it all by yourself. Well, and, and uh, bringing on that experienced advisor as well, right? I think there's a difference between someone that's done one deal and, and done a hundred. So I appreciate you spending no. your time well, doing a hundred deals and, and sharing, sharing with all of us, the wealth of knowledge that you've, you've accumulated through, like you said, being in the trenches, man. Right. Well, Ryan, this has been a pleasure. I uh, appreciate you having me and uh, it's awesome. Do it anytime you want. <laughs>